I love when I pray with my eyes closed because I open my eyes and sometimes my friends appear. <laughs> it's like magic. It's like God did it. Um, I am so thrilled. If you, how many of you were with us for Ephesians, the, the fall? Okay, so those of you who were not, um, this, this way of studying, this five days of homework and then having the four questions, that's a new thing for us. And it's been a blessing. It's been a challenge, but it's been a blessing. And so one of the things we thought um, that we would do with Ephesians is, is bring up um, sweet friends who are doing the study, and we're all just kind of doing it together, and, and bring them up and have them share how they soaked through one of the day's homework. And the cool thing about it is, which you've noticed, I'm sure, in your groups, is that everybody has these different perspectives. And God brings to light different things for each of us when we read the exact same text. And so with that spirit of, of sharing, um, we're doing the same thing today. And our sweet friend Kay, Kay Heaton, has offered to um, share with us what, what she soaked out of one of her lessons this week. And so I'm excited to introduce her to you. I'm glad she's here. So she was here last night too, and y'all are going to just love what she has to say. So before I, I get started with you, um, this week we talked about these women in our lives, right, that feed into us and, and that, that are impactful in the way they live out their walk with Jesus. And for me, and she'll just sit here and just shake her head, Holly, but Kay's one of those people for me. <laughs> she's shaking her head. Yeah, I told y'all. It's like I know things. But, but this is what's so beautiful about that, right? It's those women that God puts in your life that they don't even realize that they're feeding into you, right? And so we're going to talk about that today. But I just want you to know that you're about to get fed into as well from my sweet friend who is so wise. So, Kay, I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. She Say that one more time. I'm thrilled to be She's here. She's still thrilled to be here. I really am. Now that the mic's on, more thrilled. They're all my sisters. I know. Isn't it so fun? Isn't this a good view? We're just, let's just sit here. Look at them. <laughs> they think beautiful. we can't see them, but we can see them. Yeah, they are beautiful. Well, share with us which homework day that you're going to choose to um, give us your, your soap questions for. Well, I didn't choose the easy one. I chose the first one, day one. Mm -hmm. Day one. Um, anybody, I was the same way. Like day one, I'm like, I'm going to move right past that one. Because either the command ones are a lot easier to understand. Day one, I love that you're going to share about that. So what was your title? My title is Black and White. Black and White, okay. Mm -hmm. And the scripture, you want to share a little bit about why you chose what part of scripture, what really stood out sure. to you? Well, at first I really struggled with verse 15. It didn't seem to fit in after last week's lesson where Paul was admonishing Titus to select elders who were above reproach and blameless. It was imperative that he do that so as to strengthen the faith in these early churches and to keep them pure and unblemished. But now Paul is telling Titus, to the pure, all things are pure. I didn't get the connection. So I looked up the definition in the, the BLB of the word pure, and it said, it's defined as freedom from alloy or other alien matter. And then I got it. Do you know what I got? Do you want to know what I got? Okay. We need interaction, people. Come on. The false prophets were trying to mix in alien matter when they tried to incorporate Jewish myths and the law into the message of salvation by grace. The result would be comparable to taking a dollop of black paint, putting in a gallon of white paint. You'd no longer have black paint or white paint. You'd have an element of gray. Oh, right. Likewise, 
You can't add elements of the law to salvation by grace and still have the purity of the gospel. Therefore, those who, who were to be chosen as elders needed to be pure on the inside as well as outside so that nothing from the outside world would corrupt them. Did everybody get that same thing from that verse? <laughs> yeah, me neither, right? I mean, this is what I love. I've got to get to share this with each other. What other observations? You shared a little bit about the observations you made based on that verse, but share a little bit more about your observations in the rest of the passage. Okay, relating to verse 15, the observation I chose was that Sometimes just wearing a cross around your neck or speaking Christianese doesn't necessarily mean that you're a Christian. The, the Cretans were able, they were talking the talk but not walking the walk. So instead of being godly, Paul said that they were actually unfit for any good work. I had a, another observation. Uh, for verse 16, I had a cross-reference of Isaiah 29:13 from the NLT. And so the Lord said, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are, are far from me. And the worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. I love that she found a cross-reference, right? Have, have you guys noticed that? It, it just increases the richness of what you're reading, right? Like, so this was not a new concept, and, and she shares that with that First Peter verse. What um, personal applications did you take from this besides don't put black paint in white paint? <laughs> it's a good one. Um, not unless you want gray. Oh, amen, right? You might want. Well, I, my personal application is that I need to keep my heart pure, by not letting things of this world infiltrate my mind and draw me away from the truths of God, God's word. And also, I must be very intentional in living out my beliefs. Wow. Will you pray? Will you share your I prayer? Will. Thank you. Lord Jesus, you led a pure, sinless life so that I could be saved. I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide me on a moment-by-moment -moment basis so that my thoughts my words and my actions reflect your will for my life. Amen. Thank you, Kay. We thank my friend Kay for sharing that with us. If you're really lucky, maybe I'll be absent one day and just have Kay do it. I love that, right? Like we all have these different um, things that God's showing us. And so that, that enlightened me a lot because that first verse was hard for me. I don't know how you felt about verse 15, but... Hard to find um, an understanding, so I appreciate that so much. Um, all right, if you haven't already, go ahead and open up your Bibles. We're going to look at the end of Titus 1, and we're going to go right into Titus 2 today. Last week, if you'll remember, I had someone on stage with me not quite as pretty as Kay. Um, I had Calvin Murphy here, uh, one of our church elders, and it was, it was awesome to get to hear him share a little bit from his perspective about that, that godly job description, right? The job description that God lays out in Titus 1 about elders. And we talked about holding fast and staying true. And this week, we're going to talk about the opportunity that we have to speak into others, the opportunity that we have to be spoken into others. And and in Titus, Paul is going to give us some very specific um, directives about how to be living this gospel life and what that looks like for men, what that looks like for women, what that looks like for the women that we are to be speaking truth into. And, and if you, you know, looked at your um, homework this week, the lesson was entitled Dear Younger Me. And I started it that way because as I read through this, I thought, man, 
I know that there were so many opportunities, right, that God probably put these wise, amazing women in my life when I was younger and early on in my, in my Chris life, and, but I don't know that I listened. And I, and I know for sure that I didn't welcome them into my life and get to hear and see and watch them model out godly living. And so I, I, I felt convicted about that. And I wrote this whole big thing, and I, I gave you a little bit of it in that lesson. And I, it was basically like if I could write a letter to my younger self, what would I say? What do I wish that I could tell myself? Well, on Facebook, the great theologian Facebook, you know, where we all find our truth, right? Um, if you're my friend on Facebook, you'll notice that I was curious to hear what other people would do. What would you say to your younger self? And so I put the question out there to the Facebook universe, and it was kind of cool, right? It was like 85 people commented, and I was reading it. It was like, oh, this is so cool to hear us be able to say, this is where I am now, and boy, I wish I could tell myself some things. And so I picked a couple of my favorites. There were so many, but I picked some of them that I wanted to share with you as we start this journey of Titus 2. Um, so I threw it out there. If you could say, dear younger me, what would you tell younger me? And so here's some of the things that I got. Fear is a liar. Do things scared. It's a good one, right? Your worth is not defined by how people treat you. God is always bigger than your stuff. Wear sunscreen. Put down the baby oil. That was a, I got that multiple times. I'm not going to lie. A lot of spiritual, beautiful things, but a lot of stuff about sunscreen. So note that, right? Tell the younger women. Okay. It's probably in the message. It probably says that. Then I got a great quote from Winnie the Pooh, which is also great theology. Always remember that you're braver than you believe, you're stronger than you seem, and you're smarter than you think. Share truth, but do it in love. Give back, pray, then shut up and listen. Anyone? Be gentle with your words. Boys are dumb. Someone said boys are dumb. <laughs> Is there any boys in here? Well, okay. It's truth. Let's strike that. We won't, we won't put that on the tape. Um, please God. Don't please people. Your plan may be good. God's plan is better. Life is not always a Hallmark movie. Amen? Anybody? Yeah, right? Don't settle. Friends will impact your choices and your future. Choose wisely. And then she went on to say, no, seriously. Choose wisely. Even when you didn't know it, Jesus was there the whole time. Embrace imperfection. Give grace to others, but also to yourself. And he's faithful always. That's pretty great, right? You know, the thing I thought about this is I would guess if I were to directly ask some of the girls that gave us some of this truth and said to them, do you feel worthy to share things with people? Do you feel like you have something to offer? And a lot of them would be like, oh, no, I, I don't. Nobody needs to hear from me. Well, I think Titus 2 leads us to this place where we understand if you are seeking with a foundation of sound doctrine to live this godly gospel life, he's got so much to say through your life and through your words. Well, let's start with the end of chapter 1 of Titus, and let's remind ourselves who he's talking about here. Paul is wanting to remind us that there are lots of false teachers on the prowl in Crete at the time, right? And you covered some of that in your homework last week, but I want to give us context and start us there. So we're going to look at who they were and what they did and, and why they did it really briefly before we go into Titus 2. I'm going to read. Follow along with me. I'm going to start in verse 14. He's referring there to the, um, the false teachers, and he's saying that, that they're devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth. Verse 15 
To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. And these are some big words Paul uses to describe these people here. They are detestable, they are disobedient, and they are unfit for any good work. Detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You know me. I like acronyms. So the whole rest of the time, I'd write DDU next to that because I thought, man, what if that was how people described you? Detestable, disobedient, unfit. Who were these people he's talking about? It's important that we lay it out before we move into this Titus 2 to see what we're combating at the time. Who they were. They were vain talkers. They were deceptive people. And I found this, this quote I thought perfectly describes. They were peddling error. They were peddling error. Now, remember last week I said it's not fully understood exactly who these people are or what their intent was. Because I'll tell you, I mean, this is a truth that I've learned in my life. Sometimes intentions are truly meaningless. You know, they may have been intending to do the right thing, but by mixing Jesus and the truth of Jesus and who he is and that he came and died for your sins, and that is it, that's the simple gospel with like what Kay said, mixing it with these Jewish um, regulations and laws and myths and, and things, they're, they're adding something to Jesus that doesn't need to be added. So they're peddling error. The second thing, what they did, they, they taught legalism and they used these, what was referred to as, Jew, as Jewish fables and myths. Probably what that means is that's just wrong interpretations. I, I, Dr. David Cooper said this, when plain sense of scripture makes good sense, seek no other sense. He's saying that sometimes it's just as easy as what it says. When Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, there's no other way to the Father but through me, there's, that's not left for interpretation. It's clear. These people were adding things that didn't need to be added to the gospel. Why did they do it? We learned that earlier in chapter 1 that they were motivated by greed. They were upsetting families. And remember, these churches were like your small groups. They're just little small groups and gatherings of people that are meeting in homes. One of the things I, I saw I thought was very interesting was when, when you're asking questions about what's true and what's not true and what's solid doctrine and who are false teachers, you could always go back to, is the true purpose to grow others to Jesus first? And for these leaders, Paul's saying it wasn't. That the first purpose wasn't to bring people to Jesus. It was maybe to get them to follow rules or maybe to get them to buy into something else. Well, if you have a little time, go to Luke 11, 38 through 41. And along with the verse that Kay pointed out, it brings us back to Jesus' own words when he dealt with some Pharisees who were like trying to trap him in the fact that um, he, he was talking about all the, these traditions and things that were going on. And basically what Jesus said there, which is what this reference is in verse 15 that Paul uses, is he was saying that there is no thing or no task or no, no, no tradition or no rule that you can follow or obey that will make you clean. The only thing that will make you pure and clean before the Lord is salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's where that comes from. So the DDUs, that's who they were. And so that's who this church, these churches are now combating and having to quiet and correct. And so then Paul takes us on a journey through what gospel living looks like. What gospel living looks like. And it starts in chapter 2. Chapter two. I'm going to read the first verse. We're going to pause for a minute and talk, and then we're going to move on. Titus 2, verse 1 goes like this. But as for you, who's he talking to? Who's he you? Titus. So he's directly saying, as for you, 
homeboy. Titus, this is you. I'm talking to you. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Okay, now if you've ever opened your Bible before or gone to church or anything, you've probably heard people talk about doctrine, right? You've probably heard people use those terms. Well, to me, I'm sitting here looking at this and I'm seeing that Paul's basically saying everything that we're going to teach from here on out has to have this foundation of sound doctrine. What does that even mean? What does that mean in the context of these people that, that are, that are going to be learning sound doctrine that may look real different, will look real different from the way they've lived their lives, right? Well, you guys are going to love this. So um, I, 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 last night I told him, I go, this metaphor that I'm going to use, I was like, I'm, I'm going to not do this because I kind of the wheels shot off and I got crazy. And, and then I decided, no, you guys deserve me to get a little crazy too. So I want to tell you, when I read this thing about sound doctrine, I immediately had this image in my mind of an experience that I had. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you, we're going to put a picture up in a minute, but don't yet. Stay tuned. Okay. Stay with me here. <laughs> uh, a couple years ago, my dog, I have a couple, and um, one of them, he's aggressive towards other dogs. And so he's got some sort of social disorder. I don't even know. It's a label, I'm sure. I'm sure there's medication for it. Anyway, he's got a social issue. And so my dog trainer that I paid a lot of money per hour came over and said basically this. Yeah, so I see that he wants to bite every other dog. I'm like, yeah, it's not cool. And he's like, has he always been this way? And I go, no, he wasn't when we adopted him, but then now he is. And he's like, hmm. So he wasn't, and then you got him, and now he is. Yeah, what are you trying to say? Well, you know what he's trying to say. It was my fault. You know, I'm the problem. And then I promptly paid him lots of money, and he left. But he said, you know, something you can do to help this dog. You can take him to social classes, socialization classes. And I'm like, come on, man. Therapy for my, for my dog? And he said, yeah, you know, it's going to help because I, we were getting another dog, and we needed him to be able to not kill other dogs. It just was a thing. And, and so we went to this doggy social. Okay, put the picture up. I'm not in this picture. My dog is not in this picture. But here's what I want. <laughs> that was a light evening. There's usually a lot more. Here's what I want you to know about this class. And I promise I'm going to bring it back around. So the thing about this class is you show up at this big giant room with a concrete floor. And there's mops in the corner, obviously. <laughs> and you walk in a circle. You come in with your dog, your, your, your messed up social dog. Like, just know this. My dog is the dog that wants to kill everybody else. The other dogs are the dogs that, like, cower in the corner and then there's a pit bull with a thing on it's like a messed up group of people and dogs (laughs) and there we all are in one room which is super messed up okay so we walk in they're on a leash we stand against the wall until we're given the okay go ahead and then you know what you do anybody ever done this before you walk in a circle I know you have (laughs) her dog's messed up too so (laughs) we walk in a circle no joke, guys. That's all you do. And then one by one, they let you take your dog off the leash. And you can see in the picture, that's only some of the people. The times that I've gone, I am not kidding you, there are 40-plus dogs in that room and the dysfunctional people that own them. And we're walking in a circle. And it's like if you stop for any moment and think about what you're doing, you're like, I can't believe I am paying money for this. A, I'm giving my time to do this. And B, that this is not a massive dog fight. But that's a whole other thing. So doggy social, we're walking in a circle, walking in a circle, walking in a circle. Three miles, my friend clocked it one time, long time. Halfway into it, the dog trainer who stands in the middle, you know what he says? He goes, all right, we're going to reverse directions. And, and we're just walking, we're all walking, the dogs are walking, everybody's just walking, and we, one person stops and starts going the other way. And guys, I am not kidding you, 
it's like every dog in there like had a seizure. Like they're like, what is happening? Because all the people are just like, okay, now we go this way. And the dogs are like, what is happening? What is happening? And it was the craziest thing. And after a couple minutes, then the dogs started walking the other way with us too. Do you see where I'm going with this? You're all like, this is insane. Um, sound doctrine, obviously. For me, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, these Cretans, these people that have been living this life have been walking in this circle, right? And they've got their dysfunctional dogs walking with them. And then all of a sudden, Paul's stepping in and going, now we're going to change directions. And it's going to mess everybody up. And everybody's orientation is going to get off. And it's going to look really strange and bumpy and uncomfortable. Like doggy social. Do you see where I was going? I did it. I pulled it off. Thank you. I landed that plane. I will take credit for that. PM, where you at? All right. But here's the thing. I mean, that's really what I thought. Like, when you read this, don't, don't think about your life today in Rock Point Church because I assure you you're getting sound doctrine at this church. I want you to think about what it looked like there, what it looked like for them. They're walking in the circle, and all of a sudden somebody's going to turn around and go the other way, and it's going to be difficult. Sound doctrine, the word doctrine means teaching or instruct, instruction. Sound means free from error or uncorrupt. Paul states that sound doctrine is essential for gospel living. You can't separate them. You can't say, I follow Jesus, and not rely on sound doctrine to teach you how to follow Jesus, who Jesus was, who God is, and in turn, who you are. According to one definition I found, doctrine is the teaching from God about God that directs us to the glory of God. From God, about God, that points us to God. And so gospel living, what does that even look like? You know what that is in the Chris definition? It's that I am trying to live a life that's pleasing to God, and in the midst of it, I'm trying to point to God by the way I live my life and the pattern I leave and the legacy I share. I want to please him, but I want to point to him. Sound doctrine. How do you know when you're following, you're, when you're following sound doctrine, or how do you know when you're not? Because that's the question I ask. I don't know if you care or ask that question, but I'm reading this, and I'm like, okay, Paul, you say sound doctrine a whole bunch of times. What does that even look like? How do I even know? I don't even know what to do with that. And so I found three different things that I thought might help. This is not an exhaustive list, but a couple of things that helps me. The first is this question. Is it glorifying to God and boasting of the cross? Is it glorifying to God and boasting of the cross? If you hear a message, and I've told you before how I heard this great teacher one time talk, and as she's speaking and talking and everything, it kind of turned a corner, and I still don't believe, I still don't believe that it was an intended misstep on her part. I think it just was the Holy Spirit telling me, ask questions, don't believe that until you know that that's true. Is that fair? You know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then you have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you, and guess what? He, like, does stuff. Amen? There are times when I will be sitting and listening and talking, and something comes out of my mouth, or even better, I'm quiet, which is shocking, and it, I sit there and I'm like, that can only be you, God. That's only you. And so when you think about that, is it glorifying or boasting of the cross? You know, Paul, in another letter he wrote to the Galatians, Paul says this, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you, talking about Gentiles, circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. Meaning they just want you to go do some things and check some boxes so then it looks better. Okay. It's all about what you're doing. It's all about the tasks. It's all about the, the, the ways that you do these works. 
Well, Paul says this in verse 14 of Galatians 6. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The only thing Paul says, guys, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, has so much to teach us about who Jesus is. And you know what he boasts in? The only thing is the cross. I boast in only Jesus Christ. Is the person that you're listening to boasting in Jesus Christ? Or themselves? Or a cause? or someone, or someplace? I just ask the question. The second question I would ask if you're trying to determine if something is sound doctrine, I would say, is it in harmony with the rest of Scripture? Now, that seems really like, okay, yeah, duh, whatever. Well, there are some things, and I want to caution you and go back to the Holy Spirit deal, because there are some things in Scripture, right, that we read, and, and you read, and then I read, and we interpret it slightly differently, right? There's something, And you're finding that in your groups, right? And that's okay. That, that's okay. There are some things that we're all going to see differently, but you need to understand this. The word harmony means things are going to fold together and work together. And so in 2 Timothy, Paul says in his letter to Timothy when he's in Ephesus, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. So even if sometimes there's some fuzzy areas, there's some gray areas, you need to know that there is truth in God's word, and it will not conflict itself when it comes to the basic tenets of our belief. Okay? If something this person is saying has something conflicting with what you understand is truth, question it. And even, I'd go even one further than that. I would pray, and I have prayed this, and some of you would probably nod your heads. I've prayed this before. Lord, um, I don't understand this, but it seems weird, and it seems like it doesn't go with this. Am I right or wrong? Is this me? You know, and, and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will convict you about things and bring things to light that will shock you. Is it in harmony with the rest of Scripture? And the last question I would ask is, does it come from those who know Jesus and live like it? Is it, is it coming from people who know Jesus as their salvation, their only salvation, but do they also live like it? Because remember, we've talked about that. Like you can have a transformative moment where you come to know Jesus and you get a saving grace that comes over your life and, and you're saved, but you're not living out that salvation. Ask yourself that question. 1 John 3.23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus and we love one another just as he commanded us. Ask yourself, is this person believing in Jesus and also living like they do? Well, gospel living, why do we want to have gospel living? Because we want to please God and we want to point to God by providing a pattern and a legacy for others to follow. And so it makes sense that he starts that with Titus. Sound doctrine is the key because then he's going to go into explaining how gospel living is rooted in sound doctrine. And so in verse 2, we're going to hear him start to talk about older men. So verse 2, follow along with, oh wait, first before we do that, raise your hand if you're an old man. No? Okay. Raise your hand if you're an old lady. <laughs> okay, there we go. Raise your hand if you're going to be an old lady. I think I got everybody. Did I get everybody? Okay. The point I want you to know here is when he is speaking directly to older men, that doesn't mean checkout time. You know why? Because there's a word that comes in the third verse, and it starts like this, likewise. And you know what likewise means? It means, hey, girlfriend, you need to listen to what I just said because you got to do all that stuff and this stuff. Likewise, 
Okay, so now wake up and listen. I'm talking to you, old women and almost old women. Okay. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. I'm going to pause. Let's look specifically at those things that he tells older men that they are to be in the midst of gospel living. Sober-minded. Sober-minded, level-headed. Is he wise in his decision-making? Is he clear on what really matters? Dignified. That word dignified, um, some of the synonyms I found, I'm sure you found some as well. Reverent, worthy of respect. Does he take delight in things that are reverent and that are pointing to the Lord? Or does he take delight in vulgar, off-colored, questionable things? It, It matters, you know? Life of purity and integrity Is that what he has? Because if he does, then he's probably a dignified older man. Self-controlled is the third thing that Paul lists here. Now, something I want you to notice about this, this is key. This idea of being self-controlled, you know why? Because he repeats it four times, gang. Four times we're going to hear about self-control. Why you think? Maybe they needed to hear it. Every one of the groups that he's going to talk specifically to, the older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger men, every single one of them he's going to specifically say self-control is an issue. And I, I, no offense, I don't know if anybody here is from Crete, but I think it's a self-control is an issue for us as well. He wants him to understand it's critical. Take notice. John MacArthur says this about this section. He says self-control. That means we should have discernment. We should have discretion and judgment that comes from walking with God for many years. Is it evident in our lives? Is it evident in our lives? Physical passions, worldly standards, and attractions, are those the things that we're consumed with? Romans 12.2 reminds us that we're to be transformed daily by the renewal of our mind because we are drenched in God's word. That's what you're doing. You are soaking in God's word. And so back to the Holy Spirit thing, you're going to have these moments in your life where you're like, self-control is not an issue for me. Which, by the way, don't ever say that. I do not recommend that. As God will be like, oh yeah, watch this. But you're going to have these moments. And the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, he just wants to move you toward gospel living. He wants to move you toward being more like Jesus Christ. Is there anything better? And so there's going to come times where you're going to be like, self-controlling an issue for Chris, check. And then he's going to remind you of something and you're going to go, oh man. Self-control, it's important. The fourth thing, he kind of jumps, um, jumbles up three different things here. He says that these older men and, and us, right, are to be sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Seems simple enough. Sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Consider it this way. Twist it just a touch so it makes it personal for you. Remember, when you talk about faith, it's not just that you have faith. It's that you're rooted in faith. That, that, that's your root. That's your root system that holds you up? Are you rooted in faith? Do you know what you believe? But not just that. I'm going to take you a step further. Do you know why you believe it? Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? How do you do that? How do you root yourself in faith? I I ask that. It's like all these questions, just a little time out. All the times I say little questions in here, I want you to know because that's what I wrestle with. And every time I'm going through this, I'm seeing these things, and I'm like, okay, God, fine. I'm rooted in faith. How do I do that? I don't even know how to do that. 
How do we do that? You do that by actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus. You know, we've talked before about how he chases us down. Well, guess what? You can chase him right back. Amen? Actively pursue a relationship with Jesus through prayer, through scripture, through knowing in whom it is you believe. Sound in faith, sound in love looks this way. When you're sound in love, it means your life portrays love. Do people call you? Do people say that about you? Do people say that about me? And when we did um, the first, second, third John, we we did that a couple years ago. And you know, one thing I think all of us walked away with is that, that that John calls us, and he was the one one of the disciples of Jesus. He was like his little best best buddy. And John calls us to this: that you are to be fully, fully immersed in love and fully immersed in truth. And some of us lean one way or the other, don't we? We're heavy on the truth, we're light on the love, or we're heavy on the love and we don't back it up with truth. Well, when you portray love, they're going to know who he is by the way you love them. So if you're a truth girl, I'm going to ask you to lean a little closer to the love part. Because if all you're doing is hitting people over the head with the truth, while still true, it hurts. (laughs) And you may not earn a right to be heard ever again if it's not if it's not portraying love. Well, the third thing when you're talking about being sound in faith and sound in love and steadfastness, that word steadfastness, I prefer the the synonym endurance. Anyone? Like, because for me, that makes more sense. Like, to me, I get that. Like, endurance is is that you don't drop out. You're in. It's not, it's going to be hard, but you're in. You want men that are going to be that way. Well, you know, I, I don't know what your life looks like, and I don't know who God has put in your life that has these, these godly impacts in your life. And, you know, last week I got to share one of mine with you, with Calvin. But, but when I was working through this section, I, I texted my mom, and I'm like, Mom, I just read this part about being uh, running with endurance and being sound and steadfastness, and you know who I thought of? I thought of my grandpa. I thought of my grandpa. I'm not looking over there. And... um. Here's what's cool. There's this one story about my grandpa. There's a million stories about him um, because his life so, so deeply impacted mine. But the thing that I, I love about him was his, um, when I was little, I don't know, a couple years, I was a little tiny, right, when the house burned down. His, he lived in Highland Village, and that was before there was a fire department out there. And his house burned to the ground one night, burned to the ground. Everything they owned, gone. And this is what's crazy about this story about my grandpa. The, the house burns to the ground. There's, there's no fire department they can put out. There's just ash now. It's just heaping ash, and there's smoke coming up and everything. And my mom and my dad and my, my family, they're all there, and we're all looking. And I'm not. I'm a baby. But they're all looking and, and trying to figure out, what do we do next? And you know what my grandpa did? He went and picked up a shovel, and he started digging up the ash. And he said to them, everybody's got to pick up a shovel. we got to rebuild. There was no time for complaining, and there was no time for poor me, and there was no time for quitting. You see, because one of the things he would also tell you is three years ago, his 12-year-old son was killed just down the road. And so he's lived this life, and he's like, I've been through worse, and we're going to be okay. And so he picked up his shovel, and he just dug. That's what it looks like to be sound in steadfastness, to live a life of endurance. It's not easy The only way to develop endurance and steadfastness is through adversity and through testing and hardship and disappointment and pain and struggle. It's hard. Life is hard. And if anybody tells you it's not hard, they're telling you a lie. 
And if anybody tells you, drink the Jesus juice with me, man, and everything's going to be okay, they're telling you a lie. Because you know the difference is, when you have Jesus, you can endure all those things. It's different. Never trust a man without a limp. It's true. If somebody's walking around life and he doesn't have a limp, then he ain't telling you the truth. I love people with a limp. Anybody? Because they tell stories and they endure That's what my grandpa was. That's what God is calling us to be. Rooted in faith, portraying love, running with endurance. Well, then Paul goes on to specifically call out us older women. Um, I I wish he would have said that differently. I don't know. More experienced? Awesomer? Something like that. I don't know. I don't know if you fit there, but you will. I'll promise. Uh, Verse 3, he goes on to say, older women, likewise... Likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and their children. Verse 5, and to be self-controlled, there it is again, people, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Big, giant words in there. Some of them we like to skip right past, amen? We're not going to. That's what we're not going to do. I want you to look at this section this way. These are intentional commands that target our weaknesses. Our weaknesses. We talked about that in Ephesians. Because remember Ephesians, anybody that was there? um, Remember that, that, that Paul had very specific things that he said to husbands? What did he say husbands were to do to what their wives? Love their wives. And then what did he then say to the wives? The wives are to what to their husbands? Submit, the S word, that's what we're going to call it. No, those are great, great things. But here's why he had to say it, because they don't come naturally. He didn't say, you know, this is going to be super easy. I'm just going to say it so we can check it off the list. No, he's saying things that are hard. And so when you read this and sometimes you get through some of them and it's kind of cringy and you're like, I don't know, then that's okay. It's all right. Be in that. He wants to change us. He wants to transform us. That's what this whole thing is about. So older women, what does he have to say to us specifically? Oh, I love this. Elizabeth Elliot wrote an article once, and her article was titled this, Where are the Watts? W-O-T-T-S. Where are the Watts? W-O-T-T-S. Women of Titus II. Where are they? And this article was written years ago, and I asked the same question today. Where are they? We are here And this is who we need to be. We've got the next generation looking at us, and they need it. Where are the Watts? The first thing that uh, Paul tells about these women, these older women, is that they are to be reverent. Reverence. The word reverence, I think of it this way. It's just basically that you're being a reflection of God. You're a reflection of the character of God. Okay? Not slanderers. Anybody, um, I'm sure you read that and we're all like, I, I don't slander anybody. I don't know what the problem is. Well, I'm going to challenge you on this and say that you're lying in church because we are all slanderers. It's, there's this word, I think it starts with a G. Anybody know what that is? You're women. I know you know. Gossip. It's deadly. Do you see that the very, the second thing he says, we're to be reverent, we're to reflect the character of God, and the second thing we're to do is to not just have vile things coming out of our mouths about other people. Wow. I mean, there's, I'm, it's not an accident. 
The order didn't get changed in the translations. There's a reason that those two are one and two. That word, the original Greek for that word slanderers is diablos, and that means devil. How about that? That's our English translation for devil. And you know what? When you speak of the, the enemy in the New Testament, whenever it's spoken of the enemy of Satan, you know, that same word is used 34 times in the New Testament. Do you pray first and speak and listen last? Do you ask this question whenever you start to talk, whenever you start to say something? Do you ask, is this mine? Because I want to challenge you, and you challenge me, and let's hold each other accountable. Um, um, if, if it's not yours, then it's not yours to share. And I think we need to teach the next generation that because we're bad at this. Not slanderers. He then goes on to say that they're not slaves to too much wine. Now, I know that we, we see that and we're like, yeah, duh, we're not okay. But here's the thing. That's repeated a bunch of times. Have you noticed that? Like, there's a whole bunch of times that he's talking about not being a slave to wine. And here's why. Because it's, it's a Crete is a heavy drinking um, environment that that was actually considered a virtue. Okay? And so in this world that they're talking about right now, drinking to numb, <laughs> drinking to escape, drinking to hide, Drinking to provide false confidence. Anyone ever heard any of that? It's, it's rampant in this place. So the fact that he has to list that out as one of the items is a little alarming. Well, it goes back to self-control. It's the whole thing. It, the original term means don't become enslaved, dominated, or controlled. You see, that's the real problem is, is that all of those things were happening. It wasn't just wine. It was all those things. Be reverent, don't be a slanderer, don't be a slave to too much wine. And then he says, teach what is good. Teach what is good. He's telling these older women. Now, now this is what's interesting about this word here. The word teach here is not like me standing up here with a podium and a microphone and telling you stuff. You know what the word means? Is this so cool. It's like my favorite thing. It, it means that it's this unique Greek word that means mentoring. It means being a role model. It means actually getting down into life with someone and discipling them or living life with them. It means being an example. You see, first, before you can teach, you have to live that life to be able to teach it. I love this. In our church, and even if you're not a member of Rock Point Church, we have this incredible ministry called Flourish. And it is a discipleship ministry. And it's born out of this idea that it's less about me telling you something. It's more about let's sit down together and let's talk and do life together. Older women, younger women, experienced, not as experienced. And it's beautiful. One of my best friends is involved in the ministry, and she tells me, um, I asked her one time, I go, tell me a little bit about how it looks. Like, what does that look like? And I'm thinking it's this, this wise woman sits her down and, and tells her stuff, and she said, you know what my favorite thing that we've ever done? And I'm like, what? And she goes, I came over to her house, and I sat around the island in her kitchen, and she, like, made biscuits. And I'm like, obviously, were they good? <laughs> She's like, I don't even know. I didn't even have any. I'm like, what? But the beautiful thing was she said in the course of that time they just talked. And she watched this woman share with her about why she does this and why she does that and, and the way she does this and what she's learned in the process. And my friend said, I left there more filled up than I had in years. It's like somebody cared enough to do life with me, not just tell me how to do life. And that's what this word is. So when you see this, this Titus 2 woman, we're not just supposed to go write a bunch of blogs or post a bunch of junk on Facebook. We're supposed to go find these younger me's and get into life with them and say, I've learned some stuff the hard way. I've learned some stuff that, that I feel like I wish I knew. Let me share that with you. All under the guise of sound doctrine. 
That's what this word is. If you want to know more about our ministry, the Flourish ministry, Susan Murphy is in the back, and she will tell you anything you want to know about it. So find her afterward, would you? Teach what is good. Finally, he goes into this whole section on training young women and where some of the big bumpy words come in, and I'm going to move fast through this, but I hope you hear me. It's, it's important for us to understand. There's specifics. Now, remember, going back to our context of what we're talking about, Crete, the culture there was messy, okay? Christian homes and the way that he's laying out how a Christian home should look was rare. So when these older women are talking and teaching these younger women, these women are going back home, and I bet people are like, what is happening? They have changed directions. They are in the doggy social class, and something is happening, and nobody knows what's going on. That's what they're up against. So the specifics that he shares are there for a reason. Because these women are hungry for truth. Because they've lived and walked a circle like this for so long. And it's time to turn around and go the other way. So training young women. There's a couple of things that he gives specific information about. Number one, to love their husbands. Now, I want to pause and say this. If you are single, if you are widowed, if you are divorced, if you are childless, you know people who are these people, right? So don't just decide, well, I don't have a husband. I don't have a kid. I'm not listening to this because I would advise you. I would, I would pray that you understand that we are all in different seasons and different parts of our life and we have different impact. Amen? I have some of the greatest people that have fed into me, some of the greatest people that have fed into my daughter don't have children, don't have husbands, and love the Lord with everything they have. So when you hear these, these specifics, I want you to remember these are seasons in these people's lives, and obviously they're listed out because it's necessary, okay? Okay, unpause. The first thing that we see about these younger women is that they're to love their husbands. It's the only place that Paul encourages women to love their husbands. Like I mentioned in Ephesians, he goes into this whole thing about submission, which we'll get to in a minute. But I find it interesting that when he's talking to women about the very first relationship that he's encouraging gospel living, it's with a husband. The very first thing he says is we got to teach them how to love their husbands. That tells me that there's a deficit there. That tells me that it's hard to love their husbands right now. Well, the second thing he says is to love your children. And, and I would challenge you. I mean, some of you, if you are a mom or if you know a mom, you're probably like, well, yeah, duh, that's not hard. Let's move on past that. I want to challenge you on something. And me, um, this is more than affection. This is cultivating godly character. When he talks about loving children, remember the homes that he's speaking into. He has got these, these older women speaking into the lives of these younger women who are bringing up the next generation of the Cretan church and they need to understand godly character. They need to understand a saving faith in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the best things, and I've said this before, one of the greatest gifts that I've ever been given in my life is the fact that um, as I was growing up, I always would see my mom having a quiet time every morning on the wicker chair in the garden room. Every day, even when I didn't know what it was. I can still see it. I know exactly what her Bible looked like. I know how she sat. I saw the bathrobe. I know all the things. Because I may not have understood what was happening, but I got to see the commitment and the love to Jesus because of my mom. Who, who's watching you? I, 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 I'm, she loved me. There's no question. But that was the best way she ever loved me. Best thing she ever did in my whole life was to model this relationship of godly living. Are you doing that? 
Are, are you putting other things higher on the list of how to love your children? Love them by showing them that you love Jesus. It's the best thing you can do. The third, he goes on to say again, that they're to be self-controlled. Remember? Every one of these people groups is struggling with this. The best way to learn it is to observe it. If he has women that are baking biscuits and a younger woman is sitting at the table and this woman baking biscuits gets to say, let me tell you about some things that I have done and I regret. Let me tell you about some things that I wish I had a better control on. That younger woman sitting there is going to take note, right? Because this woman has lived it. She's not just telling it. She's lived it. Be pure. Be pure of mind and heart. That means be true to your husband. Working at home. Sometimes people get all weird and cringy and gristly about this part. I want you to see what it does not say. Remember, we're going to look at what it does say. What does it say? It, it, it says that she's talking about setting and guiding and directing the home. It does not prohibit work outside of the home. It does not say that the home is a prison for the woman. And it does not say that it's a punishment. It's a privilege and it's a gift. I've said it often. One of the, again, one of the older women in my life set me down when my babies were little. And she said to me, your greatest mission field is your home. And don't forget it. And I haven't. And I won't. She says, becoming, excuse me, the older woman is to then teach the younger woman to be kind. Is that how other people describe you? You know, I've got a teenage daughter. Everybody say a little silent prayer real quick. We're good. Now, she's fantastic. But you know what? There's sometimes that she comes to me with relationship issues and friendship issues. She's a teenage daughter. Did I mention that? It's, it's rough out there, man. It's tough. And you know what? She'll come to me, and, and I'm, I feel like I'm supposed to tell her something really smart and wise, and I got nothing. And you know all I have sometimes is just be kind. Just be kind. Because you're not always going to do the right thing, and you're not always going to do it with the right people. And sometimes things are going to get messy and ugly, and you're going to have to ask for forgiveness. But you know what? Just be kind. Just try your very best to be kind. And I thought, man, I, I don't know. That, it, it seems simple, but it's something we need to hear, right? Well, Paul thinks so. We need to tell these younger women they need to be kind. And the last is the S word. Oh, look, we're out of time. All right, no. <laughs> we're going to move through this quickly. Be submissive. We, in the modern culture, and I'm suspecting in the Cretan culture, did not appreciate that word. Because, see, here's what's happened. The world tells you lies about what that word means. And, and I think that we owe it to our Lord to say, okay, what do you say that it means? And, and when he says the word submission, it's not a negative word. And it's not, about, it's not about control. And it's not about commands. But rather, it's about choice. I, uh, I used this example when I was teaching Ephesians. And I will tell you this. Like, I did a whole longer thing about, about submission. And if you want to go back and listen to I think it was Lesson 9 of Ephesians. And it was, I felt like we really dug into it. And I don't have time to do that today. But this word submission, I, I, when God was trying to teach me what this means, I went on a camping trip with my husband, which <clears throat> taught me a lot of things um, about <laughs> marriage. Uh, anyway, one of the things I learned was that submission is less about one job mattering more than the other job. It's about roles and responsibilities in a partnership that have equal value but different roles. Equal value, different roles. What does it mean to be submissive? Do you have that picture of, of Brent when we're hiking? Oh, there's my feet. That's good, too. Um, show the other one first, Don. 
There's a picture that I have in there of, of Brent, and he's leading me on this, this single track trail. We're out in the middle of, of, of West Texas, and I'm not going to lie. We got a little bit lost, but you don't tell him I said that. Um, but anyway, he was, it's not up there. Okay, that's fine. That's my shoes. There they are. So, so here's the thing. We were walking along this trail, and as you can see, the trail's tight. Do you see that? Okay, do you see what's to the left there? That's called a cactus. And guys, I'm not lying. This is like wild, crazy. This is not suburban cactus. This is like cactus with needles like this big, okay? And so as we're walking along, here's the thing. He has the GPS. And so he's guiding, and I'm walking behind looking for snakes and trying to stay on the trail. But, but if I would have tried to jump up there with him and lead with him, guess where Chris would be walking? In the cactus, and as I'm, you, you guys will love this, as I'm walking along behind him, he sees me and I stop and I'm taking a picture of my feet in the cactus and he goes, are you taking pictures for Bible study? And I go, yes. It's like life just gives it to me. But it's true, right? It's like his job was super important. His job was to lead me. I had to follow someone or I'm walking off a cliff. And you know what my job was? Also very important. I was providing the entertainment. <laughs> Ask him. I always do that. No, I had a backpack. I was carrying the water. I was carrying things. But like I, we had specific roles. Both were important. But the problem is, I think too often we try to get up next to each other on the trail and fight over who's leading instead of you lead, I'll follow. And that's how I saw submission. It's like in that moment, God gave me that real example. A couple of things I want you to think about. Submission is less about um, turf wars, <laughs> and it's more about staying in our lane. What is our responsibility? What is his responsibility, and how does that look? My job matters too. Submission is not unconditional authority that men have over women. Hear me? Submission is not that men have unconditional authority over you as a woman. That's not what submission is. The world will tell you that that's what the Bible says and that it's outdated and archaic, but that's not what it says. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. You don't have to follow my husband when he's leading you on a trail through West Texas. You don't have to do that. Your own husbands. It's not about inferiority or subjection to men. It does not mean inequality. Galatians 3.28 even says, There's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Equal but different. That's where the world screws us up because we start listening to the loud voices of the world instead of the voice of the Lord. Not unconditional authority over women. The second thing, submission is a choice to help support and follow. It is a choice. Let me lay it out this way. Are you helping your husband in everything or are you hindering him? Do you try to understand and support him or do you always have to be right? Do you let him lead or are you showing him who Jesus is by your conduct? You know, this is what's crazy. I've known so many people that like when I get to speak into younger me, sometimes those younger me's will say, but my husband doesn't love Jesus or my husband's just like a bad dude or, or there's things going on that I just can't get in line with. Okay, well, don't let him walk you off a cliff, but I will tell you this. It doesn't say in the Bible that we're to be submissive and loving toward husbands that check a box because I would challenge you with this God bless you I love you so much are you always lovable I'm not always lovable well 
The Bible says this, 1 Peter 3, 1, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, do you hear that? If some husbands do not obey the word, this is what gets me, that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Live a life that wins him to Christ. Live a life that wins others to Christ by how you choose to submit to your husband. Quit listening to the world and what the world tells you because it's lies. The Bible does not mean that wives should worship their husbands. And this is the last thing I'm going to say and then I'll close. That as to the Lord in Ephesians where it says that wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. doesn't mean that you're to submit to your husband in the same way that you submit to the Lord. But rather your submission to your husband is your service to the Lord. Isn't that something? That that's serving the Lord by serving and loving and helping. It's like, it's like a concept. Well... As always, I'm running over on time. But I did want to share one last little bit from my, um, from my inquiry on Facebook for people to share what you would tell younger me. And I wanted you to hear this today because I don't know who you are. I don't know if you fit in the older women category, but I promise you this, there are women that are older than you. Hmm, how about that? More experienced than you, that have lived more life than you, that have things to teach you. Or are you the younger woman who is desperately seeking uh, somebody to sit at the, at, the, at the table and make biscuits with her? I don't know who you are. But I, I do know that there are people in this room that need to hear this and that need to share this. And so will you hear a couple of my very, very favorite things that people shared that they wanted their younger me to know? Dear younger me, you are enough. You are worth love. You are admirable no matter what anybody tells you. You're important, you're forgiven, you're his masterpiece, and you're worth dying for. Who are the younger me's that need to hear that today? And if it's you, I want you to own it and soak it in and love him for who he is because he wants you to hear it. Pray with me. Father, show us how to be women of Titus 2. It's hard, and that's why you lay it out like this, because it is hard. If it was natural, you wouldn't even have to say it. And so, God, instead of us fighting back and trying to listen to what the world says, we wouldn't hear what you say. Will you show us those places in our lives that we are falling short? And that's a painful prayer to pray. But, God, there are so many of us in this room, and there are places where we know we are falling short. And, Lord, we ask for forgiveness for that. God, we love you so much, and we love you that you do give us these lists, even when they're hard and have words like submission, because you only give us that because you want what's best for us, not just what's good. Thank you. Lord, we, um, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.